and welcome to the Chicago Justice Project. I'm your host, Tracy Siska. I'm also the executive director of the Chicago Justice Project. You can find out more about what we do every day at chicagojustice.org. And if you want to get involved, hit up cjpnation.org, intern, volunteer. We have groups, uh, many groups working on group research projects. You can see a lot of the research published over the last two years on our site comes from the hard work of volunteers and interns. We have three or four groups going now. We're going to start a couple more over the summer. Get involved, cjpnation.org. Okay, today we have a wide-ranging conversation with 49th Ward Alderperson Maria Haddon. She took out the alleged, supposed, most progressive person on the council, Joe Moore, who had been there forever and was not neither progressive or useful guy loved Rom. She took him out. This is um, her first term in office, if I got that right. So our conversation ranges from grading Mayor Lightfoot's police reform efforts to date, and we also go to talking about her ordinance, the Anjanette Young ordinance, trying to reform the process of search warrants and limit the scope of those, getting rid of no-knocks except in extreme cases, and limiting the scope of when you can do warrants um, from 9 a.m. till 3, trying 9 a.m. to 7 in extreme circumstances. We're really trying to um, get the search warrants done while the kids are in school and it limits who they can point weapons at. I am a supporter of the ordinance, as you'll see in the next week or two, and we're not exactly sure when we're publishing uh, an upcoming report on policy that needs to be ratified if we want a progressive police reform agenda in Chicago and the state of Illinois. We're going to be publishing that soon. This is CJP's really first foray into something this um, large related to policy and practices. So um, part of that is the Anjanette Young Ordinance. So I'm so happy that we I was able to sit down with all the women Haddon for this conversation. So I will be back with you after the interview. Enjoy. Alderwoman Maria Haddon from the 49th Ward has joined us. Alderwoman, thank you so much for jumping on the pod. I really appreciate it. Happy to be here. Okay, so let's start out hot. What grade would you give Mayor Lori Lightfoot in her first term here on police reform? It's very difficult. Um, You know... On police reform, maybe a C. I may be being generous with a C. If you ask me in a, if you ask me in a, in a few months, we'll see. It might change. Differs by the day. It does. And the top, and the reason I wanted to start with this topic is because I think for uh, progressives like me and people who are on police accountability and police reform and justice reform. We saw um, Tony Preckwinkle as being pretty darn good on these issues. And then the corruption, the thing with Burke happens, she ends up losing the election. And we're like, okay, well, if the, if the second fiddle part of this is we get Lori and we have someone who's head of the police accountability task force who came out with that rhetoric of how racist the police have been and all of this, that's, we're going to see some massive change. I think personally, I think I've been pretty let down um, between the rhetoric of the campaign and what she's done in office. Can you give me your thoughts on the difference between those two? Sure. Um, I definitely think that there are some pretty big gaps um, on this issue from expectations from the campaign um, to what's been done. I think the thing that might have me rating her a little higher is that outside of policies, um, there, there's a lot of culture change to be pressed. And that's not just within the police department, but the entirety of city hall. And it's a little harder to, to pinpoint um, and a little harder to, to kind of show proof of, but you know, she did come in and I think freed up in some areas, um, some of the city workers and their expectations of um, to, for them to be better 
right? On kind of good government, on kind of being tied in. I think there's a lot further to go in the police department. There's code of silence issues. There's there's all kinds of issues and it's a tougher nut to crack. But I can say from, from the promises, we're, we're far off on the, the kind of advent of those changes, but the attitude and the push for culture change, I believe is sincere, right? And I, and I see those efforts. Um, whether they pan out and what the outcomes will be is a different story. Um, you know, what, what would have me, you know, kind of what, it, what that's on the higher end, on the lower end. Um, I'd say some of the things are just not being clearer on, I think, what should be really progressive changes, um, like our Anjanette Young ordinance and looking to ban no-knock warrants, right? no knock, the knock and announce, the practice of how they've been used, we are clearly in the wrong as a city. And um, knowing that the legislative branch and and all their people worked with community members to craft legislation, um, we introduced the legislation not knowing that she was working on the special order, but she chose to move forward with the special order, right? And I think that that's, that whether it's police reform or other issues, um, the solitude and isolation in, in which she sometimes looks to enact the reforms as she sees fit um, is, is an area that leaves some room for improvement, right? Yeah, and that is um, that part of it has really shocked me. Um, and we can go on and on about that, but how, how things are done in isolation. And I'm going to bring up the consent decree. I've I've been involved since 1996 in police reform and police accountability, transparency in Chicago. Now we're doing it here in DC and Maryland where I'm coming to you from also. But I, I, I was always a proponent of, of, of changing police policies to make policing better. And I've since moved to where we need legislation and we can't rely just on policy because I don't think the police accountability system to whatever should, whatever, propaganda you hear from the police union and John Contanzara and the average cop who was just deluded to think that the police accountability system just willy-nilly fires cops for no reason. That doesn't happen. It seems to me that Mayor Lightfoot, to some extent, and I want to get your feelings, uses the consent decree as a tool in some respects to block other progressive reforms and to some degree block legislation. And that she only wants to find answers if there are any in police policy and in the police accountability system, no matter how much that's failed us over the last, like, I don't know, I guess the office that created that ended up becoming the office of professional standards was created in 1960. That's when the police board was created. So let's go back to that. It's at least failed us for 60 years. So what are your thoughts on her using the consent decree as this tool to some extent? Um, I, I think it's an accurate observation. Um, And again, I think it goes to, there are ways to being a process person, right? There are ways that process is, process is a neutral thing, right? And so depending on what your agenda is or what you're looking to do, you can use what's an otherwise necessary process like the consent decree um, to hold up other things that you could be doing. And again, um, you know, I think it's accurate to say that we've seen that with some reforms, right? Well, hey, we're gonna let the we're gonna let this process run its course, right? We're gonna let the consent decree kind of you know go through, and then and then we'll see. Um, it's gotten in the way of and been used to delay or obstruct or deter um, legislative action. But then the way that the city relies on policy changes and things from the mayor's office as opposed to legislative action certainly didn't start with Mayor Lightfoot, right? Um, that's, it's like the thing that Chicago does. And I think it's one of Chicago's biggest problems in our local government um, is not having legislators be active enough. Um, I think it's changing like in this term, right? You've got a, a lot of um, not just the new folks, but some of the, some of the existing, but maybe not super senior um, older people who, who do push to move legislation. Um, we're not where we need to be yet, but I, I'd say it's an accurate observation, right? That process can get in the way 
similarly other processes are used in that way right hey this is the administration and we're we're going to do this thing and so we're not going to allow legislation to move forth or we're going to like not pay attention to this thing that we could be doing right we could be we could pass the engineering young ordinance we could make changes in code um, and the consent decree can continue on its process right we don't have to wait for it yeah and uh, you know you I think a lot of things when the city were exposed during the pandemic is our failures, systemic issues. Also during that time, obviously we have the George Floyd murder. We have the protest in response to that, that hit the city of Chicago. I think one of Lori or the mayor Lightfoot's biggest mistakes was not trying to find a process to engage those people that took to the streets um, I think her immediate coming out and saying, I'm, we're not defunding the police no matter what, this is it, that's ridiculous, was a mistake. And kind of to whatever extent it did, um, added fuel to the fire for future protests by not bringing them into a process, rather than saying, okay, you know what, we're going to engage in a 12-month or 24-month process. We want you to come in and talk to us. We're going to have meetings across the city through Zoom or whatever, however you're going to do it in the middle of a pandemic. But we're going to have these discussions to see what systems we need to build up, regardless of whether we defund the police or completely change the department or reallocate things, however you want to change the language. I know how hot defund the police is. But it just seems to me like her in a, her immediate rejection of having that conversation at any level was a, I'm going to, I would say an epic mistake in that I think it would have taken the steam out of the people on the street and actually engaged the city in a process that needed to happen. And I don't think we've had that yet since this time, you know, there's these trial things that are going on that she's running and there's never right. There's crisis response trials in a couple of districts, no one ever knows anything that's going on with them. Mayor's doing it super quietly. Um, so I just think that's been an epic mistake. I wanted to get your feelings. What were your feelings when you when she came out and said, we're absolutely not even going to have a discussion on this? Um, I, I mean, I, I'm going to be honest with you. I, I don't... I don't really like to spend a ton of time just kind of hashing over opinions and, and, and going over those things. And also um, reflecting back on so much has happened since then. Like so much has happened since then. This is a very full time, um, especially for decision makers. It's difficult to give you like an accurate and honest representation of what I felt then. I, I will say, um, you know, I, it's not productive. We could we could sit and criticize like all day. It's not super productive, but I'll I'll what I will answer for you is, it's not what I would have done. Um, and I think that you know aside from that particular moment, right now we are in a space where people need, um, they need to be listened to. Um, they need to feel heard. Um, I'll say pre-pandemic, pre-civil pre unrest, pre-George Floyd, um, this city was in a space, um, it's one of the reasons why I ran, where we people feel like our leaders don't listen. There are a lot of bad decisions. There are a lot of big decisions that are made, to your point, like in the dark, right? Like a lot of huge decisions that we just don't know. And there are communication challenges and structural things in the way we're set up that, that lead to that. Um, but in what we need in a mayor and what we need in older people and what we need in our elected leaders um, are people that are open, that are listen and, and that are accountable and who are willing to explain themselves. Um, people will have their opinions, right? And as individuals, we come from different spaces um, and I'm happy to debate all day with people on kind of their philosophical things. And I think you know, Mayor Lightfoot certainly falls into a different philosophical uh, police reform category than I do or you do. Um, and that's the space for debate, but that's how democracy works too, right? Like as elected leaders, we should explain our reasons. We should explain our positions because even if we make a decision, we have, we have to be responsible for those decisions. And that's, that's where I think I, I would like to see something different, right? Is okay, cool, you made that decision but not having the debate, not 
listening to people who have other very valid viewpoints and opinions, um, ostracizing or cutting out people from the discourse, I think that is a mistake, right? Um, and especially in the space that we're in, right? Almost three years into this, with everything that's going on in the country and in our state and in our city, um, we've got to be more radically inclusive, um, even amongst our differences, even amongst our debates, like we've got to bring people into democracy. We've got to people bring people into democratic engagement in this city. Um, so that's, you know, I know that's a little, maybe a little more than you were asking for, but like, it's not just about this mayor and the way she does things. I think it really speaks to the way that Chicago mayors have acted, the way that electeds act, the way a lot of mainstream um, uh, Democrats act even, right? Um, that they think that we're in the same place that we were in 20 years ago and people can just make decisions and everyone will go along with it, but we're not. And, and we don't have people in power shifting fast enough in order to keep things um, functioning. Yeah, and the le- I, I 100% agree with you. And I think the less that you're willing to have that, those debates and explain why you're doing what you're doing, the more you breed distrust. And one of the things that I told, um, going back to the George Floyd, I told my friends from that all live in the suburbs of Chicago and one's a Chicago police officer when the, the pro- George Floyd protest started spilling over. And, oh, my God, I'm like, well, you know, the only currency public officials have, and especially the police, is the only currency you really have is legitimacy. Once they stop viewing you as legitimate, it becomes a really big problem. And it's very hard to get it back. Yeah. Right. You can't just get it back. And I think if there was more community engagement and explaining exactly why they're doing what they're doing, that would significantly help. Chicago is born into a culture like I travel a lot and I've been as far as away as South Africa. And I've had people talk to me like, oh, my God, the Laquan McDonald shooting. How awful are your police or Chicago? Everything's corrupt. Everyone, every person, everything is corrupt. Right. It, it's it's it's. <laughs> Chicago has bred that from, you know, the 20s or whatever, that reputation. And the only way to get around that is to be transparent and discuss. And if you can't, official, if you're a public official and you can't handle talking to your constituents about some, the way you're going to vote, regardless of whether it's how they want you to vote, but you th- you're doing what's in your heart to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and you should be able to explain it. Now, this is Chicago. And as we look at how many aldermen have been convicted or are awaiting trial, you know, Burke, for example, I mean, it's hard for Chicagoans to look someone like Ed Burke and think he's doing anything for anything other than money, right? Regardless of whether it's true or not, that's just the way it goes. Um, He's lost legitimacy a long time ago. Okay. Can you tell our audience what's the status? I'm not sure if it's completely dead, but what is the status of the Anjanette Young Ordinance, an ordinance that I absolutely love, by the way? Sure. Yeah, no, not dead at all. Um, So we've got, it's been a year. Uh, It was a year in February since we introduced it. And, um, you know, we don't have legislative sessions in city council, but we certainly have a flow of things. Um, you know, everything kind of pre-August, um, that's really the time to kind of move new things, to, to build on stuff. August is when we take a month uh, with no council meeting, at least. Doesn't mean your alderman's not working, but we at least don't have any council meetings. Um, and then kind of post-August, we really get into budget. And then of course this year and last year we're dealing with the remap. Um, so really, you know, kind of took a pause, lost the momentum. We do have 20 co-sponsors. Um, we've got a strong community coalition. We had a rally just this last Saturday. And now that the law settlement is complete um, between the city and Ms. Young, Ms. Young herself has actually um, been engaging through her social work community. And so uh, social workers um, here in the city, National Association of Social Workers, Illinois, um, as well. And they were the folks who organized the rally that we had on Saturday. Um, So we're moving forward full steam ahead, um, having conversations with individual alders and looking at how we can um, get this moved and get this passed. So we want to vote on it uh, this year. Um, And, you know, what we would be looking to do is ban no-knock warrants. Um, set some standards around knock and announce warrants to give people at least 30 seconds. Um, Cause that's uh, what you'll hear is here in Chicago, we actually don't use no knock warrants a lot. And that's true. What we use are the knock and announce warrants and the practice around that 
is it's just left up to the individual judgment of the of the team that's that's conducting uh, the warrant. Um, there's no time recommendation um, in in guidelines for them. And so, like what happened in the case of Miss Young and, and many other folks here in Chicago is there's a, a knock and then they just brush your door open, right? Which is basically a no-knock warrant. So just because yep. you physically knocked, like if people didn't have time to answer the door, um, like in Miss Young's case, or put clothes on or say, hey, hold on a minute, I need to get dressed. <laughs> um, or who is it? Oh, it's the police, give me a moment. Um, then in essence, they're really no knock warrants, you know, uh, in practice, if not in name. Um, and we're also looking at just codifying standards that speak to the values that I think all Chicagoans can agree with. Um, we shouldn't point guns at children, right? Um, shouldn't do it unless it's absolutely necessary. Um, you know, we shouldn't point guns at, at people um, when in the presence, like at caretakers in the presence of their children. Um, we should be using the least intrusive methods possible when it comes to executing a warrant. Um, we want to see higher standards around the use of information gathered from the confidential informants. Again, in Ms. Young's case, and we see this in, in other um, uh, what we call wrong raids, is they weren't even in, they weren't even in the right place, right? Um, so, what's the standard um, that's required? Um, when officers are gathering this information, how are we vouching and making sure that this is legitimate um, so that we're not infringing upon um, the, the, the homes of people um, who, who were not listed on the warrants? Um, so these are, these are all things and practices that are best practices pulled from around the country. Um, other cities have done them. We've been working with um, a team from Northwestern, a lot of civil liberties and civil rights scholars. Um, so what's included in the ordinance um, are not, are not far-fetched things. And they set the basis for how, in my opinion and the opinion of my um, other co-sponsors, um, how all Chicagoans should be treated and elevating the bar of conduct for public servants um, is a good thing. Yeah, it's, it's been amazing to me to hear the responses that we have to the ordinance. One, that there's no need. I don't know how anyone could watch Dave Savini's reporting um, and over the last couple of years and think there's no need. And to my extent, if you're going to, um, the police should have to explain everything they do, in my opinion, right? They should be able to detail um, our, you know, in an articulable way why they're doing what they're doing and why there's a need to do what they're doing. Um, but I don't, I think, I've always been puzzled by the people who are for smaller government, but how that smaller government never applies to the police or what they do. And I've always thought, well, there's, there, that, that is a, to me, it's always seemed like that's the epitome of privilege because you never think those policing tactics are going to be used against you. That's mm -hmm. why you don't care about um, the fact that we have to rein in warrants. I, I think the Anjanette Young case, ex unfortunately, exquisitely detailed all that, a lot of things that are wrong with the police department. They never, they didn't follow the policies to get the warrant. They didn't execute it right. Um, there was no repercussions for any of the officers that were in, in charge of that raid for what happened. Um, and there's a report buried that the mayor has that she's refusing to release, by the way, ladies and gentlemen. Um, so what are your thoughts on the community commission? I know it took us a while to get it. I was just wondering what your thoughts are on that final version. Um, I, I think it's a great start. I mean, I'm excited at where we landed. Most, most exciting to me is knowing that what we have in the community commission is um, what community asked for. Um, so seeing just like the, the years long efforts, right? Of, uh, of CPAC, of GAPA, um, being a part of a lot of the conversations and negotiations, having so much community support um, and, and seeing this come to fruition um, is very exciting. So I'm, I look forward to um, the interim board. Um, I know we've got a few residents here in the 49th Ward, people I know around the city who've applied, who are excited to serve. Um, and, you know, people want to make this city better. Um, and, and that's always inspiring to me. And I think that's what we're going to see with the commission. I was really worried. I was in the rooms when the Fair Cops Ordinance got written. It was my idea to create the audit that ended up at the Deputy Public Safety Inspector General's office. I was in the rooms at the Corp Council office negotiating COPA 
and the DPSIG legislation. And I remember the GAPA at that point uh, was mostly involved in them asking Rom and us to like not pass any kind of community version, community commission version. They wanted time. And as this started dragging along with the Lifewood administration, I got really worried that we weren't going to get anything, that it was all going to fall apart. So I, I was happy um, to see that we got um, what well, I, well, I think we all can think is a good start. And we'll see what if and any changes need to be made over time. But um, I was really worried we weren't going to get anything. And that, that was going to be kind of heartbreaking to watch that when we were so close to getting it before. Okay, I just have a few questions left for you. What is, um, I guess, what would you say to people who are exploiting, I think exploiting violence to rail against policies that we know aren't causing what they're causing, what they say they're causing like bail reform, right? I know um, in your uh, in your ward, Loyola University Chicago's criminal justice department, Drs. Don Steven and Dave Olson, I've had them on the show. They've basically been able to prove there was no uh, ma major increase in crime or violence after bail reform was permitted 18 months prior and post. And they also looked at um, prosecution statewide for gun violence offenses. And um, this was for like five years from like 16 to 20 or 15 to 20, something like that. And it basically came out that Kim Fox had the harshest sentence for gun violence offenses, not possession, but actually using guns in a commission of a, a crime. So given those facts and coming out of your ward, what, what is your thoughts on this like constant like vitriol that comes at bail reform? You know, I had Alderman Lopez on the show a couple months ago and he was talking about uh, crime in Wrigleyville bog, CWB, well, they charged the 61 last year or 69, whatever the number was. And I'm trying to minimize. I go, yeah, the, the supposedly 69 people committed a gun violent effect while on bond. And I said, okay, that's great. So let's repeal bail reform. Now you, you only have 3,500 other shootings to deal with, Alderman. <laughs> it's like you're dealing with something, you're raging against something that may cause may, because they can't prove it, may is strong, 2% or less of the shootings. So I just wanted to get your thoughts about that because I know um, I've seen some things that you've talked about in the media and I just, I, I, I really interested in your thoughts on it. Sure. Um, it's, it's disheartening to see it play out that way, but not surprising. Um, and I think, you know, from the bail reform advocacy side and before being in office, um, predictable, right? I think folks would say we knew we would be in this place. Um, and it's also complicated, right? Some people do it for easy political hits. Some pe people do it because it aligns with their narrative of the world and how things are. Um, and it's difficult to, at this point, not, it's hard for people to reconcile the difference between where we are and where we wanna be or where they think we should be. Um, some of us, I think, um, can take the time to navigate complexity and are willing to dive into the complexity of systemic issues, of root causes of violence, of why one in three people have a gun in the city, many lawfully, right? Um, what, what's, really, what's really causing people to do that? And then what, what's causing um, not just crime, but violence? Um, and other people would rather spend the time not getting into the nuances because it's difficult, it's messy, and there aren't, um, we don't necessarily, there's not a lot of feeling of power in navigating for those solutions, right? So, you know, it's harder to say and um, even harder to necessarily get immediate results for some people to say, we're going to make sure we put more resources into mental health. We need to like put a ton of money, resources and good people in our schools. Um, we need to, you know, navigate the fact that we have a totally different economy. So like just throwing up a Walmart and hoping that a bunch of jobs follow isn't gonna solve that issue in your neighborhood, right? Like we're in a time of huge change and it's scary. And there is more violence, right? Like there's more gun violence specifically going through the pandemic. We saw tons of spikes. 
people don't know how to react now that I'll say the symptoms of a lot of broken systems are being felt by larger portions of the population. And, you know, this is not, we don't want to dismiss, like, there is real harm happening to people, right? Carjackings, robberies, um, shootings, even shootings that don't involve people. I hear from my residents, like, it creates an environment of fear, right? Hearing gunshots, it makes you not feel safe. Um, and so I can understand the reaction to want to seem tough or demand something that you think is going to make people safer. So, right, folks were like, well, there was this, there was this change in this policy and all of a sudden now things are different. You know, forget the pandemic, forget the data that shows that that's not a cause and effect, but people are just like, well, we changed that, let's just change it back, right? Um, let's just put more money into policing because if we had more police, this would, these are simple-minded knee-jerk reaction things that we have data that show don't work but the alternatives of trying to work with colleagues, with groups of people through years of systemic bureaucracy to try and implement the real changes that are going to yield the positive results that we wanna see. We need to house people. We need to make sure people have food. We need to make sure people have purpose, right? We need strong education systems. We need communities that are united. Um, and to create a sense of safety, right? So that people have other options and alternatives and it's hard work and it's ebb and flow and it doesn't fit into an election cycle, right? I have been, and I've told this everyone on my show, like, wow, you take Chicago with all the segregation, poverty, lack of jobs, like Chicago lost more industrial jobs than any city in the country, including New York, not per capita, ladies and gentlemen, total. So it's like three times more, at least. And you throw a worldwide pandemic on that, overlay that, that causes health insecurity, massive health insecurity. And the poorer you are, the worse it is for you, by the way. Massive economic insecurity, housing insecurity, job insecurity. You throw mm -hmm. all of that on there. What did you expect was going to come of it? None of us want this to happen. But blaming policies, it just seems it's mind boggling to me that that policy was created at the end of 2016. Why all of a sudden is it causing all this harm in the beginning of 2020? Like, mm -hmm. I don't understand. Make that connection for me. And why did crime go down 17, 18 and 19 in Chicago, and Cook County after the implementation of this project, right, of this plan, project, whatever you want to say? I just don't get it. But you're right. I think it is all about being looking for simple answers. Sound bites mm -hmm. you get on television with sound bites. Um, people are busy. They're not paying attention. They want quick it's what, answers. It's what we're drawn to. And life is incredibly complex right now, right? Because the pandemic's still here. The yep. economic disparity is still growing. Um, the, the things that people are bombarded with on a daily basis and the challenges they face in their personal life, especially people with children, right? People taking care of elderly folks, elderly folks who are trying to navigate retirement. Like there's so many complex things um, that we're necessary, like necessity dictates people are focused on their own thing. And it's really attractive to hear simple answers or simple solutions, but what we need are policymakers and leaders. And this gets back to kind of the, what we were talking about with trust, right? We also, our city, and this had nothing to do with kind of most of the people who were currently in office, right? I tell people, those of us coming in in 2019, mayor included, really got the short end of the stick on the, uh, maybe on the hot potato game, right? But we're coming into a city that already has a deficit of trust with our, with our residents, right? A city where mayors and older people are seen as corrupt or not trustworthy. Um, and it doesn't matter who's in that seat at the time, right? My residents will have an independent opinion of me, but they still might think all of city council is corrupt, right? And so now in a space of fear and uncertainty and unprecedented times when things are low, now your government's saying, I need you to trust me, <laughs> right? We need you to trust us people and this is what we need to do. And that is a um, very challenging situation. And so some people, right? Um, because it's what makes them feel better. And it's some people, it's because it's what's politically expedient. Um, will say what they need to say. Um, and even do things that they know will not work, 
um, the victim's justice ordinance, right? Street gang ordinance that we introduced. Oh, let's doing the gang members. We have a piece on our website. They have to know, not going to work. Not going to change a thing. As a matter of fact, we'll be negative for the city, right? We'll probably, we'll definitely cost us money we don't have. We'll probably cost us settlements. We'll put people, residents in a worse place and is not going to have any effect on preventing violence or crime. Um, we know it, we got the data. We had, I don't know if you watched any of the hearings, right? Like no, nobody could really, nobody could provide us with any information. And there was no real confidence that from the police department or from the law department, like nobody really went to bat for this in, in a big way, except for the mayor herself. Um, and that's an interesting political position to be in where uh, it's a political reality where there's a lot of pressure for elected officials to come up with solutions. And so sometimes people propose solutions that they know aren't going to work, but it's, it's maybe just for show, like I'm proposing this, but we're probably not really going to use it. Right. But I'm proposing this because you guys are demanding something, but the real, the real answers are complicated. I heard from, this is so true. So I heard from an alderman years ago, I think it was 2012, I think, Rom decided to close three police districts. And um, I won't go into all the things that happened inside of the department, I know, actually, like the study that said, here, these are three police districts we need closed by crime, they threw out. And they just closed the three oldest stations, buildings, because Daly had rebuilt a bunch. You can't like spend 10 million building one and then close it two years later. So... I was, I went to some of the aldermen that were in the wards where they were proposing to close the three. And I, I got heated with one of them and he's, and he or she, I should say, is like, this is what I've got to say publicly to keep my office. I have to be against it. We told the mayor's office, do what you need to do. These got to close. We understand it. And we told them we are going to be boisterous against you. And they're like, that's fine. And I was just like, it's like, wow, that's all theater. You're just giving it theater. He's like, well, that's what he or she was like, that's what we need to do. This is how, this is how we keep our seats. Oh, that's how some people do. <laughs> oh, it was so frustrating. I'm like, well, how about just go out and say we need it to be done. It needs to be done. We're wasting money. And the CPD is, I mean, Daly had a, a, a consultant study, which I have somewhere. Um, back to 1994 that they needed to close three police districts and Daly wouldn't do it because of the political fallout. So it waited from the early 90s up until around 2012 and Rom finally did it. Okay, last question. And, and it only really came up on the agenda because it's gotten made on the paper the last couple of days and because it, it was a magnet for violence and a magnet for just a problem. Christopher Columbus is coming back, it looks like, to um, Grant Park. What are your thoughts on that? Because I'll just tell you mine personally to start. I thought um, I, the incident that happened at the one in Grant Park is horrible. I don't think it ever should have happened in the way that I think they should have just been, as it started coming down around the country, they should have just been taken down overnight and damn the political things. I'm not going to send police to go guard a statue and put them in the line of whatever that is coming at them. I just thought that was irresponsible and irresponsible to send the police to guard the statue. So now that I've ranted on my feelings, I just wanted to see if you had any thoughts about Chris coming back to Grant Park. You know, I haven't had time to digest it. So uh, a couple colleagues, I, I haven't even fully read the articles. Um, what I can tell you, though, from the city council side is that should be instructive in and of itself, right? Um, we've had no city council conversation about it. Um, and, um, as you know, there's the Chicago, Chicago monuments project, mm -hmm. um, that, um, was supposedly releasing their report. I don't know if it's come out. Um, I, 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 in conversations I was having a couple of weeks ago, um, they were anticipating having it released soon. Um, this is another, this is maybe gonna end up being another example of kind of weird process and, and bad process. Um, I don't think we should have a statue of Christopher Columbus up. So that's personal opinion. 
Um, and it's not just because of a popular wave of people taking it down, right? I'm from Columbus, Ohio. Uh, Columbus, Ohio took down our statues, <laughs> right? Like, what does that on. say? What does that say right? about Chicago? Yeah. Like, Columbus, Columbus, Columbus Ohio. Ohio took it down. What do you, what, you're behind statues, Columbus, Ohio. Right? Um, cities and communities and culture and, and things that we change. Um, and this is, again, getting to responsiveness. And it's not just the responsiveness of popular opinion, which I think is the way some people maybe characterize this. Um, I think creating the Monuments Project was a really great response to it, right? Fantastic. All right, let's, let's, have a, let's have a committee. Let's have a community conversation. And let's look beyond, right, the Christopher Columbus statues. And let's look at other potentially problematic things. Um, so we worked here, we have the Indian boundary line plaque. So we had a monument here in the 49th Ward a very tall, uh, tiny monument uh, by comparison. And um, it was a wonderful opportunity, actually. We worked with DKs with the Rogers Park Westridge Historical Society, had like a 300 person um, community meeting and a lot of engagement via digital survey where um, I learned about this monument that I like only barely knew was there, learned about the history and, um, and our community put forth some recommendations, right? Of how it should be updated and changed. Um, and that process I think was good. It was healthy, it was open. We should have the same process around these Columbus statues and other, right? Kind of problematic historical figures. Um, like, fine, let's, let's talk about it. Um, we haven't seen the monuments report. The process itself, like while we had a good process here in the 49th Ward, it was different in different places. Um, some people feel it was rushed. It was, I think there's great people on the commission that were, were put together and I found them to be helpful and thoughtful. But if there's a process by which recommendations are gonna be made, shouldn't we see the results of that process genuinely before an executive decision is made telling us what's gonna happen? Like it, it's like cart before horse, I don't understand it. And that goes again to if people don't trust your process, they won't trust the outcome of the process. People will disagree with elected officials all the time. It doesn't matter what decision we make or where we come down on an issue. We're not gonna please everyone, right? There's gonna be people who disagree with us, but we just have to be able to explain ourselves. We have to be able to be transparent. We have to be accountable to people and process can help us do that. But when you have processes and you set things up, and this was, before being an elected official, this was my work, right? I used to give this advice to elected officials and city employees in cities around the country for like almost a decade. If you're going to just make a decision on your own, or if you're going to make a decision that is not tied to the process, the public process you set up, it is better to not have the public process because having a process that you tell people they need to wait for, that they need to invest time into, and then doing something anyway that's not connected to it it is harmful to democratic process it's harmful to the trust that your community needs to have with you um, it is it's bad for democracy <laughs> um, and it, it loses you credibility and then where whatever your decision is so in this case she says the statue's going back up right um, that's going to be a very unpopular decision does the process back it up, right? If the process backs it up and you can move forward and people can understand it and they can disagree with you, but okay, well, this is how it went and this is how many people participated and this is the, the research and the reasoning behind it and I don't like it and I disagree with it and I'm gonna fight to change it, but like, at least I see your thought process, right? You showed your work. Um, and more and more of those experiences help us to become a better deliberative place. Um, and so I will see, I'll read the articles. I look forward to reading the report from the Chicago Monuments Project um, and to hearing something official about this to older people, because so far we, uh, we don't have it. Yeah, I, the reaction on Twitter was pretty swift, right? And it was, it's a, and it was a, you could have just written the tweets yourself. Mayor Leifer could have written them. The report isn't out yet, but now you're saying you have an answer. 
what the hell is going on here? Particularly with the controversy around the, 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 the lawsuit and her conversations with the park district employees, yeah. like particularly with like the high level, high level issues around it. I, um, I don't understand. Um, I don't understand. I don't understand either. I also don't understand how people get attached to statues. Um, I have always been for one that there should probably be none or they would, the people would have to be like super clean and never have done anything wrong in their life. Um, I, I have a condo still in the little Italy neighborhood of Chicago over by UIC. Um, uh, condos right outside the park where another version of Chris has been taken down. And I've heard, I've heard criticism from people in my old neighborhood around the condo. It's like, you're not Italian. You don't understand. I'm like, I am. I'm half Italian. But I hate to tell you, I'm American. Like, I'm not trying to diss my Italian heritage at all. But like, I have no connection to Chris. I'm sorry. I don't, I, I don't identify with people that history can blatantly prove have done massively, unbelievably horrible things. And just because an American does a bad thing doesn't make me part of that because I'm American. Like, and I also don't want to just build a statue to someone who did really bad shit. Um, I, I've just never understood this argument. Um, and I, and another, I'm just going to criticize her cause I can do it. I think it was just a fault of mayor life, but not to take him down at two in the morning across, um, wherever the Christopher Columbus's statues were and just take him down at two in the morning and avoid the incident we had at, at Columbus in grand park, because that did not need to happen. No, um, it could have been avoided. I would agree. Right. And we put, we put the lives and bodies and well-being of police officers, um, in the line to protect that statue you know in my opinion take all the statues down put them in a add a wing to the museum of science and industry or the history museum or whatever and put them all there and then put content around them so we know what we're honoring them for and what we're criticizing them for and just be done um so that's my rad thank you for taking um for listening <laughs> all right alderman uh alderwoman maria Haddon, thank you so much for joining us i really appreciate it good luck in the 49th yeah, no, thanks for having me on. I want to thank 49th Ward Alderperson Maria Haddon for taking the time to jump on our pod. I think I would probably grade Mayor Lightfoot's performance related to police reform harsher, maybe significantly harsher in some aspects than Alderwoman Haddon did. I agree that Lightfoot did take on some big swings related to the power of the union maybe a couple other things we could scrape up, but I don't think she's done anywhere enough and certainly did not her first term or at least the first three years of her first term have not remotely matched the rhetoric we got while she was a candidate. It is my belief that Mayor Lightfoot is far too soft on the police and far too reliant on both the consent decree and police policies. Mayor Lightfoot uses the consent decree to block legislative actions that could be undertaken by the city council to reform the police. She uses it as a shield to block anything that's not in the consent decree. And that's a massive, massive, massive mistake. But it fits her. It doesn't fit the rhetoric of, of Mayor, a candidate Lightfoot, but it fits her record to date before running. And then once she got in office, it fits everything we know. And someone from the Illinois Office of the American Civil Liberties Union, not an organization I am that fond of, but someone from that office said, and I don't remember who it was, I saw it in the paper, but, and I'm sorry, I know this is not my original idea, so I just wanted to bring that up, but the consent decree should be the floor, not the ceiling, and Lightfoot is making it the ceiling. The minimum standard of reforms that have to go in during Mayor Lightfoot's terms are the consent decree terms but there is room for improvement over that especially when you consider that the average you know if you the history of consent decrees shows that they're only about 50 percent effective cincinnati's been under a couple i'm not sure if it's really helped at all cleveland may have been under a couple and seem to really make a big difference in the los angeles police department shooting police shootings are way down allegedly um so we'll see that but i i do think that's a huge problem of Mayor Lightfoot, and I think it's going to be a huge problem for her re-election. We're going to be talking um, in future episodes about the uh, plethora of um, what I would say is alt-right candidates. One recently jumped in. I've got some scoop about why Alderman 
Raymond Lopez, 15th Ward, or older person, I should say, jumped in. I have a little scoop, but you'll have to wait till that show comes. Let me just say this. It is not because he thinks he's going to win the mayoral election. It's a suicide run from the beginning, and everyone knows that he's not going to say that while he's campaigning, but um, I will leave that for another show. Um, so just I, I guess to close this off is I hope as we go through this next year and whatever the next term of whoever the next mayor is, whether that's Lightfoot or someone else, the city council's unleashed to do what they think is best legislatively and we start using the consent decree as the floor and not the ceiling because we're gonna we're using it as a ceiling really limits what can be done and um the idea that po police policy is 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 where it is at is ridiculous the office of professional standards and cpd didn't work that was one on police accountability or and internal affairs and then we changed the office of professional standards which is ops to the independent police review authority which is ipra then we went from that was 2007 that went to about 2016 that's when we created copa or the citizen office of police accountability or citizen office of police accountability um so copa used to be ipra that used to be ops they have all failed in their mission horribly not all horribly all at the same time it doesn't mean one year here or there wasn't pretty good or you know not too bad oh, but overall they're failures and that's because you cannot rely on police policy and the police accountability system to solve the problems it's just as dumb as relying on the police department to solve all the social ills of all chicago's communities it will not happen you're setting them up for failure okay ladies and gentlemen our plan is to be back next week we were off a couple of weeks. I um, had some issues to take care of, but I also did a, I had to go out to LA and do an appearance on the Dr. Phil show that aired on Monday, the 11th. And I think you can catch clips of it online at YouTube if you are so interested. We talked about the Jesse Smollett case. And unfortunately for me, because uh, I didn't want to talk about it, the Will Smith slap heard around the world supposedly so if you can catch that then you'll catch up what a little bit of what i've been doing since we were off the last few weeks and um we'll be back with you next week thank you have a great day